This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this week we are talking about saying goodbye to a season. We are answering a question about the Magic Kingdom, not the Magic Kingdom. (laughs) This isn't a Disneyland question. (laughs) This is a question about Magic Kingdoms and uh, fairies, things like that. How do we, what do we say to our kids about this? And is it okay to let them just frolic in that world? Uh, And also I'm talking to my friend Ollie Goldenberg, uh, who uh, is talking about how we can support evangelistic kids. If you have a kid who really loves talking about God and sharing um, sharing who God is and what he can do in people's lives, how do you facilitate that and talk about it and coach a kid in that uh, when they're living in a world that needs it, but also may judge them for it? Why are we going to do that? Uh, so that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, I just wanted to start off today talking about Um, Well, it's almost school time. It's almost time where our kids are going to go back to school. We think at the recording of this podcast that our kids are going to go back to school. And we've been getting a lot of questions about how do we help our kids transition into school? How do we help prepare them to go back to school? Um, And this is going to be relevant for families of under fives as well. I just wanted to to say that you know this is the background of why we're talking about this is is it feels like something shifting and we want to prepare our kids for what's next and next week we're going to be talking about how we help them transition into going back to school going back to nursery going back to you know community of friends you know emerging from this lockdown how are we going to to help them to do that and i feel like it's a sort of two-parter i guess because my first step in, in any thinking about transition is actually, I think there's a, there's a step before we talk about preparing our kids for what's next. And that's about helping them say goodbye to a season well. So much of life is a series of changes and transitions where you're, you're just moved into something new and something new and something new and something new. And it's all about getting ready for what's coming next. But I think there's a really important spiritual, emotional discipline of being able to say goodbye to what was so that we can get ready to embrace what's coming. Um, it's going to be a massive shift. And and I recognize that for some people who have under fives, you're like, it's just the same. Or for some people who are still shielding, uh, it feels like a shame. But at some point, we're going to be transitioning out. And I, I feel like this saying goodbye to a season is really important. When the Israelites were hanging out and they, they were crossing over into their promised land, they were like getting ready. God was saying, come, I got this whole new thing ready for you. You got to cross the river to get there. They were moving out of a 40-year period of having everything provided for them and God leading them with a massive cloud. And they were they were experiencing a very distinct season. That was a surprise season, to be fair. Nobody thought they were going to leave being slaves. And then they were like, whoa, we're getting delivered. Woo! And then they were in this whole trend, you know, this whole middle period. And then now that now, now they're moving into this new land, they're going to have to move into conquering and fighting rather than being provided for and learning. And it was a massive transition. And when they crossed the river, when they stepped through the, the boundary, 
sort of river. Um, and the river parted for them, and they came out the other side. They gathered rocks, and they made a little pillar of rocks that sort of served as a a memory, a statement that said, this is what God has done. This is this is a marker for this moment. And as a and for me, a marker for the for the season of, of what has been that we have God has brought us to this point and He has done this thing. And I think there is something really important about saying goodbye to a season, to stopping to acknowledge and talk about and process what we've been through so that we can then say, okay, and and now we're ready for what's next. Uh, And I would really encourage you that your first step of transition is to capture, to celebrate, to grieve, to understand what season we've just been at. And some of you may have um, have been sort of gathering as you go, but the first thing I think would be really helpful is to capture um, what it was like to, you know, sit and go through your photos of the last five months, six months, and go, wow, look at all we've done and look what, oh, you know, look how creative we were. Do you remember how exhausted we were that month or that was a terrible week? Or, um, oh, well, look how much I really enjoyed that bit. And to reminisce and to enjoy and say, you know, this was a distinct season that had lots of highs and lows and great stuff and tough stuff. And oh, we've been through a lot in the last five months, haven't we? Isn't that so interesting? Uh, to talk about who God was, you know, what your family was like, what you did. Um, you know, we have a, a downloadable uh, on our uh, webpage on, called Me COVID. No, me, God, and COVID-19, which is just a couple of worksheets of capturing who God was and what it was like spiritually in this time. But however you capture it, um, I suggest you just take a few minutes to capture and reminisce, you know, what it was like in this time uh, to discuss it. Because often, you know, we haven't really looked back and thought, wow, look what's happened. Um, another thing you could do is to celebrate it and to say, you know, this, the things that were really good about this time were this I loved playing more or I loved, you know, getting to know this about you or I I really loved how bored we were together. It's been ages since we were this bored together or you know, I I really loved seeing how how creative you were to be on your own. However you did, what did you love about that season? What was significant about this season? Um you can grieve this time. You can grieve the loss of of what's going to happen. I know it seems like many of us are like let it end, please. But um, there will be some things that I think all of us will miss about this, this very unusual time of COVID, whether it was how close we felt to God when we were walking through grief, um, whether it was, you know, dealing with some of the other issues that came up during COVID, like, you know, looking at racial injustice, or whether it's looking at, you know, people in, in fear and worry or, or um, things that have happened to us when we went through COVID or people we've lost in that time of, of, of who God was in that, um, or the positive times, what we miss about the opportunities that this unusual time offered us, but also, you know, grieving what we lost because of it. There are people who really have lost um, people who have lost opportunities, who have lost their final year of school, who have who have lost their 
their friendships. Uh, there's there's a lot of loss that has happened, and to take stock of that and to grieve that and say it really felt unfair or stolen from us, and to acknowledge that and to take stock of that, things we regretted doing, <laughs> things we're proud of doing, uh, to just grieve that time, I think is significant. Um, so if we capture capture what it was like if we celebrate what we loved if we grieve what we have lost and what we will lose by moving out of this season and also just understanding it and having those big questions of how are we different and what did we learn and and how has god changed us and what have we changed our minds about God in and to really have interesting conversations. And I know it seems like this massive thing, but you can do this with a two-year-old and you can do this with a six-year-old and you can do this with a whole house of teenagers because it doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that that you are letting us wade in that season, that, that end and saying goodbye well. Um, I know some people who love doing rituals and doing situations. I know some people are talking about having a party and sort of having a goodbye lockdown party where we say, you know, this is the button of the season. We're now ready to move on. And they have, you know, questions. I know other people who just are thinking, okay, over the next couple of weeks, we want to have a bowl with questions in it. When we have dinner, we can pass them around and answer one or two questions, you know, as we eat breakfast or as we eat dinner. Uh, I know some people who want to make like a <laughs> the, the crafty people who <laughs> are like, we're going to make a scrapbook of like our time together and we can ask questions. You can be as for informal, as formal as you want. I know some people are just recording a conversation that they're having about this time to just capture that moment. Uh, I know other people are doing videos to their future kids, you know, however you do it, be as creative or as low key as you want, but give yourselves a chance to um, say goodbye to a season. And I know we may go back into lockdown. I know there may be a second spike. I, I, you know, I, I know that we can't dust it, say done and dusted and this is over. But, but if you feel like you're reaching a, a, a shifting point of a season, I would just suggest that you say goodbye to it, to thank God for it. Um, I know some people may just want to gather as a family and just pray and thank God for what he's done and chat to him about what has been lost and to just have some time to be honest with God and model for our kids how after we talk about it or before we talk about it that we can bring it to God and acknowledge and mark the season. I know other people who are saying they want to to build a little pillar of of stones uh, in their own way of, of this is this is a marker for the season. But take a moment to think about what looks authentic to you. It will look different for every family, but I'd suggest you find your own unique way of uh, capturing what has been, celebrating it, grieving it, and understanding it and each other as you uh, begin to think about what's next. And we'll be talking about what's next next week. <laughs> I just wanted to capture that now. question for today uh, has been someone who wrote in to us. Thank you so much for writing in to us. We love your questions and we love answering what's on your heart. So if you have a question, please email in or contact us on Facebook or I don't know, send up a flare. <laughs> but let us know because we want to answer your questions. And uh, today's question uh, is about fantasy. Uh, the question is this. I have a nearly three-year-old and a two-year-old. Nope. 
That's a lie. I have a nearly three-year-old and a one-year-old, and we play make-believe games, which sometimes includes fairies and mermaids, as well as reading stories about them. How do I help my almost three-year-old differentiate between fairies, mermaids, etc. being make-believe and just stories compared to God and our conversations with him and Bible stories being real? Uh, I just want to say it's a great question. It's a common question, and it's totally right to be concerned that you want to make sure that you're kid knows the difference uh, between the fantasy games we play and the reality of God. Um, I just want to say developmentally, we know that the ability to solidify and reliably tell the difference between real and pretend some develops somewhere in the range of three to five years old. So your children being one and two and almost three, uh, are they're still in the realm of that blurriness for them of what is reality and what is pretend. And that is totally okay. That's what their brains are doing. It's not anything you're doing wrong. It's just that their brains aren't big enough and complex enough to really be able to shift that out. And it takes being three, four, and five to really um, become confident in knowing the difference. By the time they're five, they know the difference between real and pretend. Uh, Depends on what your kid is like, that they may get that when they're in their threes and they may really, you know, be developing it solidly when they're fours. So uh, don't worry too much about it because they're young. But what this time frame allows you, which I found when I had my kid was I made I made a lot of practice runs <laughs> when he was small because I was like how would I describe this if your brain could get this and so I'd try and then be like nope that's a terrible way of describing it and so this time gives you uh, an ability to define a framework of how you want to explain it and you can begin to do that now so as your nearly three-year-old emerges into that three-year-old four-year-old age range where they can really tell the difference you have your brain on and your head on and your patterns on and your habits on of how you want to describe it. So I'd say absolutely start now, but know that it's going to take a while for them to really grasp it. So I'd suggest now you use the language of real and pretend so that as their brain develops and they can understand the difference, God and fairies are in two different camps. So when you play fairies and mermaids, uh, which I think is a great parent thing to do. Congratulations. I played a lot of things. Uh, You can say, you know, I love that pretend game. It's so fun to imagine that we are mermaids. But when you read the Bible, you can frame it by saying, I love that these things actually happen for real. Or I like that when I read the Bible, it tells me the truth, not pretend. Or whatever you feel like you want to communicate about God in the Bible. So you're just putting a little frame around it. And when they're one, that not might not make an impact at all. But what happens is you're creating a pattern of language that as they begin to tell the difference between pretend and real, and as you work on that in normal life, as they are, you know, two, three, four, or five, uh, they already have that language around it that they can slot those things into it really easily because it's what you've always said. Uh, when you pray, you can say, God is real and close, and we can chat back and forth with him. Uh, you can treat God like he's real in every moment. And you can treat fairies and mermaids as a switch that you can enter into. Oh, are we playing a game where we pretend that fairies are real? I can play that game. And then you can play the game and then you can finish saying, I really liked that pretend game. And then you can go off and chat to God as normal. And they are in that process of learning and watching. And they will then see that you do God all the time where you only play things when you say the word play about mermaids and fairies. And they'll begin to make that difference. 
Uh, just remember that it will take a while for their brains to catch up to what is real and pretend. So having in place now how to differentiate that makes a massive help. And uh, and know that your kid's going to make a lot of mistakes, and that is absolutely fine. Um, under fives is about them making weird connections with each other. Uh, you know, like I know some under fives who think that if you go to hospital, you will die because people die in hospital. And they're, they're trying to figure out this cause and effect and all these different links, and that can be hard for them. So they will make mistakes in this. And I just want to assure you that that's the process of learning. So, you know, don't feel like you're failing if your kid prays to God and then chats to fairies and you're like, no, uh, that's just part of the journey. You're there to be helpful and consistent and you can enter into that and have a conversation about it as they go. But uh, they are they are going to be developing that. And it doesn't mean that you failed. It means their brains are working all the time. And your job is to walk alongside of it and sort of shepherd that rather than try to be so consistent that they never, ever make a mistake because they will make mistakes. And that's okay. That's part of the development. But the fact that you're asking this question now is so exciting because it means that you really are ready for this, for this phase and that you can do it now. So wade in, enjoy, uh, play mermaids and fairies and talk to God and have a great time. You'll figure it out and uh, your kid's brain will partner with that, I promise. We have a question today. Well, it's not a question. It's regularly what we like to do is wade into equipping parents when you have a particular kind of kid. Kids are weird. Well, they're not weird. They're they're varied. They're beautifully different from each other. And and sometimes you have a kid who just has a really particular type. You have a kid who is super artistic and just sees the world and encounters the world that way. Or you have a child who is particularly pioneering and always likes doing the new thing. Or you have a kid who is super intellectual and doesn't want to encounter faith unless they completely understand it. And sometimes it can be hard to know what to do with these kids who have such a strong expression of themselves. And so every once in a while on the podcast, we like saying, if you have this kind of kid, this is how you might want to facilitate them. And today we're talking about kids who are for lack of a better term, evangelistic. These are the kids who are like, I am passionate about God or just bold and don't care about what other people think who are like, yeah, I'll talk about God with anybody and are really quite bold and out there talking about their faith and about God and who are quite firm in their thoughts and beliefs and are passionate uh, or at least interested in having their friends sort of know about God. And uh, how do you facilitate these kids in, in communities that uh, that are so different from them? How do you help them talk about it while still being respectful? How do you help them not feel squished or persecuted while also knowing that's just part of life? How do we facilitate kids who are evangelistic? And uh, so I brought in my friend, Ollie Goldenberg, who is a very wise person. He is uh, the co-founder of Children Can. He's written a million thousand books uh, about well, everything about empowering children. Uh, he's rewritten God's generals. We've we've brought him in before, and we just wanted to know what's his wisdom for how we raise children uh, who have a have a tendency towards that. How do we equip them, empower them, and encourage them to be them? Okay, so we are doing a mini series on how to empower and support kids with a certain heart, and we wanted to talk a little bit to Ollie about evangelistic kids. So obviously, all Christians have a a mandate on them to share about God. But there are particular children who really seem to be very passionate about it. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you're a parent uh, with a kid like that, how can we nurture and equip them? 
Yeah, I, I love this. As some children, they're so bold compared to us. Yeah. And we can we can think, you said what to who? <laughs> <laughs> what? You really are? And a little bit of us can shrink on the inside. Um, but this is this is what God's called us to do, isn't it? And we're called to go and make disciples. And a key part of that is not just suggesting the gospel or hinting at the gospel, but to proclaim and actually speak out what the gospel is. Mm. So if, if your child has a heart in this direction, the first thing I want you to do is take a deep breath and encourage them. <laughs> I want to encourage, encourage them, cheer them on, say, this is great. Wow, this is amazing. I'm so proud of what you're doing. Keep going, keep going. Um, because it, it's hard when you start speaking the gospel and some people will knock you back on that. For them to know that you're for them in what they're doing and encouraging them, that's a great step. The, the next thing I want to encourage you to do is to find ways to equip them to do it effectively. So if I were to take the worst way possible, they've got a heart for evangelism and they go up to their friends and uh, they say something like, if you don't come to church, you're going to burn in hell. Now, that's a child who's got the right heart, yeah. <laughs> but um, the wrong message. Yeah. That's not the message of the and gospel at all. Church attendance isn't what it's about, and burning in hell is not the big, the big stick. The big stick is our own sin over us that does have those consequences of being eternally separated from God. But um, it's it's not. That's not how Jesus presented the gospel to people. He presented it as a place of love and a, a path of goodness to go on that people could discover and be reunited back with the Father God. Um, so uh, how can we help our children then? We, we, we need to actually give them the kind of language that they can use. We can equip them with the words. I love with kids, we love doing role plays. We love talking about how uh, questions have been answered. Um, when someone, oh, I was asked this by one of my friends at school. Well, what did you say to them? Yeah, that's a really good way to answer it. But next time you could say this. So we start to help them to look at different ways mm. um, to think about it. I think one of the challenges is that, in the past, things that our youth and teenagers used to have to face and the kind of level of questioning of their faith, now many children in primary school are having to face those things. Yeah. And uh, so we as parents, we have to be aware that our children are having to contend for their faith. They're having to stand up for their faith in a way that 10, 15 years ago wasn't the case. When, when we as parents were at school, it wasn't the, the same kind of judgment against the Christian faith that many children are having to face. Not all. Um, some schools will be extremely supportive and some, of course, will be totally behind their kids um, showing the gospel in this way. Mm. Um, but if we're aware of that, that makes, means that we need, no, we need to be having those questions, those conversations with our kids to say, how did it go? What did you share? What did they say? What do you think you could have done better? And helping them to reflect on it whilst at the same time giving them some practical skills. There are some great ways to share the gospel. I'm just going to throw out one. Yep. The wordless book. Um, by the Child Evangelism Fellowship. It's a brilliant, brilliant resource. I think they even have a little um, gospel, it's called, I think it's called a flipper flapper or something like that. <laughs> Where you can kind of, it's, it's a little tract that you can fold and fold again and fold again and fold again. And each time you fold, it presents a new color of the wordless book, um, which is, starts off with green, God made the world, goes into black, there is sin, we've all done things wrong, moves on to white, it's, um, no, it moves on to red, but the blood of Jesus washes over the sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he got rid of our sin. Then the next color is white, um, which is God gives us a clean start. And then some, some of them have um, yellow or gold to say we, we're going to get to go to heaven and be with God forever. Great, simple tools like that can be a good thing to put into our kids' hands that they can then go and use and share, share the gospel with. Um, there's so many other little tips, but the, the one thing I would encourage my kids to do when we see they're evangelistic is that they surround their evangelism in prayer. Mm. So it's not just about sharing something, but 
Pray about it. Pray for your friends. They were asking you questions, were they? Go, go to God. Pray, pray for them. See what they're going to say. Um, so that it's, it's, this is not just a duty that I do, but it's something that I'm doing in response to God. What does he want? Who does he want you to speak to today? Have a listen to God. Again, if I use um, parenting for faith language, catch something from God of who he wants you to speak to along the way. Mm. So, um, so our children are, what, what have I said? I, that we are supportive of them, that we are equipping them with practical things, yeah. um, that, we, uh, that we are encouraging them to see this as a spiritual issue as well not just as a, a practical thing to do so they're raising it in prayer and uh that we cheer them on to see what god's going to do brilliant and what about um with those children's parents i think uh, a question or a concern that often comes up is what if my child goes out in the playground and is uh you know talking about god to families with no faith or of other faiths and um, do we have a responsibility there or yeah how would you handle that the first thing to say, if I can go from my experience, mm. parents of other faiths and no faith have less of an issue with someone talking to their children about Jesus than they than parents from Christian faiths, <laughs> yeah, <I think> <laughs> from the different right. denominations. And uh, so if I think of when we've done outreach programs, we have received a grand total of no complaints from uh, from non-Christians and from people from other faiths. Wow. Uh, but, and... and uh, but we have had people from who are from other Christian churches going, oh, we're not sure about this bit. And did you say this exactly as we wanted you to? Mm. Um, so I think what I'm saying is I think sometimes the concern is greater in our minds than it is in reality. Yeah. Um, if I think of a school where we worked, where many of the children who went there were from Muslim homes um, and the head teacher was very concerned about what influence having Christian people in the school may have on those families, um, which led to one of the parents who was one of the Christians who was part of a prayer group, which we, we were part of doing a survey at the gates saying, if we were to talk about Christian things in this school, it's the Church of England school, um, would, would you be offended by that? Many of the Muslim parents responded by saying, we've sent them to this school because we want them to get the Christian framework and the Christian morals um, here. So it's like, yeah. so you're giving us permission. Ah, so uh, the fear and concern was actually not matched in practice. Um, so, so that's my practical thing. If I can talk on a theoretical level, if there were a complaint yeah. along the way, um, uh, when, when I read through scripture, the gospel is offensive. And if, if nobody is being offended by the gospel, then let me say something, maybe it's a bit edgy. Maybe we've not fully preached the gospel mm. um, because this is how the gospel is. It's supposed to stir up and shake up and say, hey, your life's not as it should be. You need Jesus. Turn to God. Mm. It's time to repent. None of those are happy, clappy type of themes, but they are truths that when they're put into our lives, actually give us, lead us to a relationship with God that leads us to be awesome because we're made in God's image. And as we gaze on God, we're transformed back into his image from glory to glory. Um, so I, I think when, when we think we have the hope of the world that God's entrusted to us, and this is good news. Yeah. Um, as long as we're doing it in a way that's loving, and that reflects back on the, the kind of bad example that I gave at the start of this. Um, <laughs> well, they, they, there is a wrong way to do this. But if we're presenting truth in a way that's loving and it leads to someone being offended, then ultimately that responsibility lies between them and the Lord. Um, uh, uh, what would be a worse thing from our point of view, I think, would be that we don't preach the gospel at all because we are afraid of offending someone. Um, and God warns one of the prophets of this, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to put God's word in you. If you warn people um, and they don't listen, then you're fine. But if you warn people 
if you don't warn people after I've told you the good news mm. um, that I have for them, if you don't warn them of judgments coming if they don't repent, then um, not only will they suffer, but actually there'll be a judgment on you as well. And I, I'm not saying that we will be judged if we fail to preach the gospel, but I'm saying that we have a responsibility to actually speak up for what God has put in us, and that is to share the gospel. And Paul puts it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of souls. And I, I'm not going to be embarrassed about telling you good news you may not want to receive it, but why should I be embarrassed about this? This is God's power at work to help people meet with Almighty Creator and be restored back to a place of wholeness. And God, I'm not going to apologize for sharing that with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it comes back to what you were saying at the beginning of actually your most the most important thing you can do as a parent is to support them and encourage them and pray for them. Yeah. So that's great. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you so much. You're welcome. And a question to start an interesting conversation with your child is this. Um, I thought we'd go bold this week uh, because I think it's important to ask these questions and to allow this to actually be a conversation too. Sometimes there are questions that we feel are too big, too risky to ask. And I think it's really important that we do wade into them and it allows space for us to have those conversations. So the question to start a conversation today is, how do you know that God is real? Or, depending on where your kid is spiritually or how old they are, you can even go really in and, you know, if you have a teenager or something, you can say, do you ever doubt God is real? And what do you do with that thought or feeling? So ask one of those questions. How do you know that God is real? Or do you ever doubt God is real? What do you do with that thought or feeling? And have a really interesting conversation about um, what it's like, because I think we all have those even as mature Christians and I think it's important to talk about how we cope with those so enjoy thank you for downloading the parenting for faith podcast a new episode will be released next week and why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight session course to get in touch or to find out about training and events near you you